Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. All right, so we are here uh, with Gus Munoz Castro. Did I say that right? Get that all in there? You got it. You nailed it. Man, so I appreciate you coming on. It's so funny how, how things work and it's such a small world. So you reached out to me. You were a, a friend or you're coaching underneath one of the people that we had on here before. Yep. And so we kind of get a dialogue going, then find out that we had we actually had this interview scheduled a week ago. And we both wanted to kind of adjust it because our team that we didn't know was our team <laughs> uh, was having the game at the same time. So we were able to kind of make it work out and, and things work out for a reason. Yep. No, yeah, I, I appreciate it. It was like a godsend when I got the email saying, oh, yes. Like, I, I, and I knew it. I knew it because the, the schedule came out like that day. And you emailed me right over. I said, Bro, like, we are connected. I totally, I totally know why you're emailing me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Go San Diego Padres. Uh, oh. They're going to be playing in a couple hours. So here, go team. Yeah, so so we'll see. Once this actually episode is released, if you're watching the video component of this, you might be able to see our happiness still if you're – listening to us later on and maybe the Padres are out of it. They didn't make the world series or whatever it might be. Maybe uh, then this is going to be a little delayed, but either way we got to the show and that's kind of what matters least for the time being. All right. So Gus, we didn't come on and just talk about Padres, even though I love the Padres. I could probably talk to him about all the time. We're talking about basically <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, power ISA. So you run an ISA team. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want one, run one of the largest ISA teams in North America. We have 65 people in the call center and we service, you know, all kinds of real estate businesses, real estate agents, real estate teams, loan officers, real estate investors, and, you know, a, a bunch of areas underneath the, the real estate umbrella. And we help them with their inside sales needs, whether that's everything from outbound prospecting. So, you know, calling, you know, cold calling, calling cold lists all the way to inbound lead qualification, conversion and nurturing. So all that kind of stuff. It's pretty, it's a pretty broad range of services all under the inside sales umbrella. So one of the oppressive uh, stats that, that you gave me was that for 65 agents, you're usually uh, scheduling at least a hundred appointments on a, on a daily basis. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an impressive number. I always think we can do more, but yeah, you know, it's all, it's all, you know, <laughs> depending on your metric, right? So yeah, it, it's a, it's a huge number. It's a huge amount. It's a huge impact, right? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, cause all of those appointments are it's ROI and it's results for our clients. So that's ultimately what they want, That they want help with that part of it, right? It's if they have lead flow, you know, you're an agent, you, you know, there's yeah. many, it's, you know, it, it, it's hard to stay on top of these leads. It's hard to make the calls to put in the work. And if anything, you know, I don't know if you've been doing lead gen for a long time online or not, it's getting harder to convert these leads, right? It was a lot easier 10 years ago, you know, when Google pay-per-click was the only game in town, when Craigslist was, you know, a great lead source for free, essentially, right? I mean, these were, it didn't, it wasn't that hard. Um, now you got to put more work into it than a few years ago, but it's still, the ROI is still there. Yeah, there, there's so many different ways to skin the cat. I mean, it's all about, I mean, having the conversation, pick up the phone. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of real estate agents don't like doing you know they don't like picking up the phone and and your team is just a kind of a solid team that's, that's picking up the phone on a daily basis so i mean if, if they can't do it themselves and you're having 
basically each agent you have is at least doing one to two deals or two appointments a day. I mean, why not basically outsource it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the actually some of them do way more than that. It just kind of depends on the lead source each one of them is working on, right? Because if, for example, if you got someone calling, uh, you know, they're in the Zillow queue, right? They're getting a bunch of Zillow leads. They're not going to set one appointment a day. I mean, if they're calling, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 Zillow leads a day, they're probably going to set 10, 15 appointments a day, 15, 20 appointments that day, right? Because some of the portal leads can be some of the hottest leads out there. They, they want to see a property. They want to go, hey, can you meet me there? Hey, can I, you know, this is still available. I want to put it in an offer. I want to see it. I want to put it in an offer. And then you've got lead sources like Facebook, which is a different beast. It's a different animal. You got to understand that these, that, that, you know, internet lead is a very broad term, but these things are, are like location specific and context, right? It's really important what the context is. Facebook is like the ocean, right? They're coming out from a totally different context, not a real estate context. They're not looking for homes on Facebook, not necessarily. And they're interested in something in an ad. There's a, there's, a, there's a magnet, there's a lead magnet there, there's an offer there, there's something that caught their eye and they want to learn more about that. So it's a little bit of a different uh, orientation and a different conversion rate, right? Absolutely, if, 50, if you can get 40, 50% of Zillow leads to meet with you, then Facebook, the equivalent, like a good percentage is gonna be 10% of those leads. 10%. One out of 10 is a good conversion rate. It's solid because uh, those are people are the ones that are motivated. They might not have a 12-month timeline. They actually want something a little, bit, a little shorter term. That is a more realistic kind of conversion rate. So, I mean, the, the, the number of 100 appointments a day is impressive. But I do want to give people kind of a little bit of context on that. It does depend on what you're calling, right? Yeah. And then our cold calling teams. Cold calling is a totally different animal as well, right? When you're talking about cold calling, like calling the phone book, Vinny, it's essentially what, what, those guys, what a yeah. lot of what those guys do, right? Circle prospecting is essentially calling the phone book, right? So those guys, it's not one or two appointments a day. You're not going to get appointments every day off of cold yeah. calling, but you are going to get motivated leads, right? You're going to find people that if you're any good at it, they're going to tease you, give you a little bit of inkling into what they're going to do. If, you find if you're patient enough, you, get, you have 180 to 100 conversations, you're going to get one to two solid motivated sellers that are doing something in the future so so you kind of kind of have to make sure you you set the right expectation for this activity regardless if you're doing it yourself if you have an isa or even if you outsource it to a company yeah i mean the one thing i tell a lot of people real estate is sold right during major life events yeah. right so you're trying to figure out on that call when that next life event is going to be when's that raise going to be when's that move when's that the the whatever it might be the divorce, whatever it might be, you're trying to find out when that life events, so you can basically take on that lead. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, right? And, and, and there's another implication to what you said, which is a, a big thing that we teach folks in my team. It's that you're not gonna convince someone to buy or sell over the phone. It's not about, if you go into it with that approach, you're doing it wrong. You're gonna yeah. get very frustrated. That's not the deal. The deal is the person that's having the life event, Vinny, are they gonna share their motivation with you? Right. So I, I love this stat. So in the U.S., you know, like ballpark, there's about five million uh, real estate transactions a year. Ballpark, right? Every year in the country. So there's two sides to that. Right. So there's 10 million parties to transactions, 10 million parties. Each party is usually about one and a half adults. Right. You know, one and a half, sometimes two, sometimes more. Let's say one and a half adults. Right. 15 million people a year are involved in real estate transactions. And if you count like their closest family member or their son or daughter or their dependent, you might be talking about 30 million people, adults, adults, involved or very close to real estate transactions every year. That's one out of 10 people, man. 
If I call the phone book and call a hundred random people, chances are I'm going to talk to 10 parties of a real estate transaction or very close parties to a real estate transaction in the hmm. phone book, right? So the game there, Vinny, is not getting an appointment with them. Nope, that's not the game. The game in that sense, in that cold calling scenario is, can I build enough rapport with you in about 30 seconds, a minute, to have you share with me, are you party to a real estate transaction this year, in six months, next year? Because the odds are in your favor in that sense. And I think if folks kind of look at it that way, it changes the game. Even cold calling can be productive. Calling the phone book, again, I mean, you know, Heller the home seller. I mean, San Diego legend, right? The guy built his business, his company, from calling literally the phone book. Two, what was the two, what was it, two or three lines? Or just dial, manual dial, old school? Because he understood the numbers, right? Dial, he understood dollar, that man. metric. Man, that's, yeah, I, I love I love that way of looking at it. That's fantastic right there. Absolutely. Uh, so if you change it from being like a cold calling machine and want to kill everybody to like trying to build a relationship, show some empathy, show some interest in the person, give them some value, Right. You know, a, a cold calling script we would use a lot uh, for circle prospecting. We use this all over the country, um, you know, and I got this from a Keller Williams course, by the way. Uh, it was circle prospecting. Hey, you know, uh, I'm calling in your neighborhood because there's been a lot of interest in this area. I'm just looking for folks that might be thinking of selling in the next year because I have a lot of buyers. I've got a lot of interest, whatever it is, right? I've got something yeah. really, really valuable that I need to share with somebody. Mm. Like, help me out, bro. How can I find whoever might be thinking of selling? Because, man, I've got something super valuable for them. Or I had my buyers lose out on like the last three homes in this neighborhood. I really got to help them. I mean, can I? Can you help me out here? Who do you know that I should know this thinking of selling a home? Well, I don't know anybody. Well, how about yourself, sir? You know, how about you know? Hey, have you ever thought about that? Have you? Is there any life of? You said life events going on. Is there anything out there? And and again, you're not approaching it from uh, an aggressive standpoint. You're just asking the question. You're being interested. You're asking for help. You're asking for help. And it does change people's reaction. Like you don't get a lot of the nasty grams. People tend to not uh, get upset with those kind of conversations because you're, you're asking for help. You're, come, you're approaching it from curiosity and you're coming from contribution. Okay. I, I just want to help somebody out here. If they're thinking of selling out a buyer. How can we make this thing happen? Right. So one of the things you just said, who do you know that we should know? If you see on the bottom of the screen right there, who do you know that we should know? There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So I, I, I mean, I, you've given us so much value right here. Let's dive deeper into who Gus is. I mean, we talked before we got onto the onto the the mic right here that you were born in Tijuana. Kind of talk me through kind of growing up, coming to the U.S., things like that. Yeah, so it's kind of a it's kind of a crazy story. So you know, I grew up in in Tijuana, which is on the border with San Diego. Uh, it's a pretty big uh, Mexican city. As Mexican cities go, it's not a beach town. It's not a cultural hub. It's not. It's a border town, right? So it's yeah. like, hey, people that live there, you know, uh, are, are in business or they're migrating or they're on their way to some other place. It's kind of an interesting area, right? And my whole family's from that area. So it's kind of crazy. And 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 my my parents were university professors there. So it's kind of a weird. So it's, all these things kind of are kind of weird, right? But they all, you know, this is 100% true, 100% legit. And I grew up born and raised in TJ the whole time. Half of my family lives in Southern California. San Diego, uh, you know, LA area, you know, all that part, right? Spread all over the place. So that's why I was able to practice English with them. And I'd hang out with my cousins and they would make fun of the guy that spoke English like a Mexican, by the way. They'd go, hey, bro, I mean, this, whoa, 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 like, stop it, kid. This isn't, you're not talking right. So I learned how to speak it like an American, right? And I, and I was exposed to the culture there. 
People might not know this, but in Tijuana back then in the 80s when I grew up, you couldn't get Mexican TV. There was one channel, one Mexican channel in TJ that I could get over the air. And there were like five San Diego channels I could get over the air, like in my <laughs> house. So I was like, NP, you know, you know, uh, uh, was it PBS, NBC, San Diego, KTTY, like all the local stations, Fox, you know, San Diego, when that started, you know, I was exposed to that. So that was that helped me, right? That, that made me like a binational, binational person. I went fast forward. I went to study college in Mexico. Uh, I studied engineering because, uh, hey, you know, my parents were academics. I was like, man, you know, studying, hitting the books is where it's at, right? This is what's going to get me out of here. Well, not out of here, but going to get me to the next level. And at university, I was recruited by Microsoft. So my my opportunity, I was born in Mexico. I wasn't born in the U.S. A lot of people in, in Tijuana were born in the U.S., right? But I was like, you know, born and raised there. I didn't have a chance to like go and work in San Diego. But I got recruited at college and they recruited me to Seattle, Washington, right? So that was, my, that's how I came to the to America. That's how I came to the U.S. Got an opportunity, you know, to come over with a work visa. It started work as an engineer. I was like, you know, it started from zero, right? And like from a junior, junior employee at Microsoft, great company. This is early 2000s. Microsoft was the be-all, end-all of technology back then. I don't know if people remember that, um, you know, and they're still around today. But back then, it was the only game in town, essentially. Uh, so that was a great opportunity for me. I made it. I was there, right? Grew up, TJ Kid grew up. You know, I wasn't poor, but I wasn't rich either. You know, go, went to school. Education got me to where I wanted to be. I was in, you know, like a blue chip company in America. I was set, man. If you ask my parents, they're like, we made it. We did it, right? But there was a problem, right? So that that so I was there, and I was, and I and I had I stayed ten years at Microsoft. So it wasn't like a one and done kind of thing. I was trying to find my way. I was trying to make a career there. I made it all the way to senior engineer, which is pretty good achievement there. But it wasn't for me. That was the thing I discovered. That was my big kind of eye opening experience, right? That you know, my you know, I met my wife in Mexico. She went and enjoyed me up in Seattle, uh, you know, and and she was she came from an entrepreneurial family. She came from the business uh, world, right? Everyone, all the members of her family, extended family, self-employed, had their own business or ran their own farms or from an rural area in Mexico. I mean, they, they just did their own thing. I was like, wow, what the hell is that about, right? And she planted the seed. She gave me the, the book, and it's going to sound super corny, but she gave me the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is like, you know, I, you, know you either love that book or you hate that book. That book legit, legit changed my outset. It chipped away the kind of a way I had seen things before. And kind of opened my mind a little bit to a different way to look at money, to look at business, to look at success. That I'm not. I'm just gonna be super honest with that. Apple, and my wife put it in front of me when I was 19. Right? She's like, "Well, future, well, you know, then girlfriend, future wife." Uh, and I read. I'm like, "Man, this is something interesting, right?" And I said, "Hey, I wonder if I ever did so. I wonder if I could ever do anything like this." And when I was at Microsoft, you get to a point in your career where, like, am I gonna double down on the corporate world or am I gonna try something? It was. I was 30 by then, right? You know, early 30s. It's like, okay, well, what's next for me? So my wife had gotten licensed in 2008 in real estate in Seattle. You know, the world was ending. If anyone remembers that, um, and you know, she got to ride the, that market on the way down, and little by little started to ride that market on the way up. In about 2012 was about the turning point for that area. And in 2013, I said, you know what? I need to make a change, right? I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel I'm not using all my skills. I've got the gift of gab. I'm able to talk to people. I'm good with people. I'm good at, I didn't know this, but I'm good at sales, right? And in an engineering context, that's not a good thing. Oh, you're, 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 all, you're, all you're doing is selling, man. You're just selling. There's no, there's no, you know, substance to this. So engineers 
are really, you know, cautious when they see other people selling to them. They're not, they're, they're, they, you know, they're, they're, you know, battle stations, battle shields go up, right? So it was always a little kind of a weird situation for me a lot of times. And when I tried out, I got licensed in 2010 to help my wife out as an assistant, basically. Nights and weekends, I'd help her do her website, do all like little software things. And then I built, I, I was a manager at Microsoft. I built a team, I'd hire people, I'd train people there. I said, let me hire, let me train your team. She was at Keller Williams at the time. Keller Williams is all about team building and organizations and like the organizational model, team model, bunch, all these things, right? And I said, hey, I kind of, I really dig that. I really enjoyed that. I like that culture, that system. Let me help you build one of these Keller Williams teams. I like that blueprint. I really think it's it's, it's scalable, makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it, it's, it's logical for me, right? As an engineering mindset, this totally made sense. So I said, I'm gonna take a six month break from Microsoft, right? I'm gonna, I put, I, I said, you know what? I'm out of here, thanks guys. I was thinking of going to either Amazon, Google, Facebook, which are huge still in the, in the Seattle area as well. But in the meantime, I'm gonna take a six month sabbatical. I'm gonna help my wife build her team. That was in 2013 and I've never gone back, right? I went all the way to real estate, went over to the dark side, whatever you call it. Uh, and I've been self-employed entrepreneur since then, right? And it's been, a, you know, it's been ups and downs since then. Uh, learned a lot because I essentially started from zero. I didn't have, I didn't do a lemonade stand. I didn't do uh, a college dorm uh, business. I lear started learning cash flow, profit and loss, uh, paying people negotiation at tw in 2013 when I was 32 years old. I started practicing. I had read a bunch of books, but I started doing it at 32, and here I am, 40. I just turned 40 this month. Watch last month. Um, and you know, it's it's been a trip. I learned a lot. I had to compress my learning there, uh, but I started building a real estate team. Uh, I, I built it up, and we did about you know 10, 12 million a year in volume. Pretty good for our area, like northwest Northwest Seattle. Um, and then I discovered the ISA model. That was a big thing for me. That was a big another one of those you know people put information in front of you. In my case, uh, it was Keller Williams. Keller Williams had you know the, a lot of training, a lot of coaching, a lot of models. Uh, you know, I was able to meet some really top performing agents that were using ISA in their organizations. Lance Loken, for the for folks that know Keller Williams agents, Lance Loken was one of them. Um, but there's a, a lot more. They were having a ton, ton, ton of success uh, with the ISA model. And I, I incorporated it into my team. I loved it. My very first ISA uh, within 90 days set 22 listing appointments for me in one month. In this first month, and this was again, there were a lot of expires in the market. You know, so it was, it's not the market we have today. But it blew me away. I was like, holy cow, if someone can do this, what else can they do if, you're, if they're properly trained, managed, and kind of recruited, right? So that's how I started. I started with ISA modeling my team. Then I kind of, a light bulb went off and I said, hey, well, I'm from Mexico originally, right? And my wife and, and, my, and our plan was always to go back to Mexico. That was our plan, like long-term plan. Then we said, hey, I mean, why don't we try doing that now? I mean, we, we, this is 2015, right? end of 2015, early 2016, let's try it. Why don't we try and do that now? Let's run our real estate business remotely. Let's see how that works out. And I can run my ISA team remotely, but have it in-house in Mexico and actually service the U my US team remotely. And then immediately I had another four teams hire me essentially to go, hey Gus, if you're gonna build an ISA team down there, well, can, can I have one? Get me one, I might train one. I know you guys, you know what you're doing with ISA. You, you, you have a lot of success with that. So give me an ISA, right? Here's some money, go, right? And so four people did that for me. I had my first four clients early 2016, and away we went. So I had my first, it was four ISAs, uh, four clients, and myself. Uh, and, you know, we started that early 2016. So fast forward to now, 
We have over you know 600 active clients right now, uh, and and we service like almost every state in the U.S., almost every province in Canada, uh, hundreds of campaigns that we're managing, uh, and and that's where we're at. So it's been it's been a trip, man. But uh, that's I guess in a nutshell, kind of what 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 led me to that. Yeah, that yeah, that was quite the roadmap. So 2008, your wife got into real estate, right? Yep, got a like a license. Yes, got a license. And then 2013 is when you actually jumped in fully into full time. I jumped into it 100. So I mean, one of the things that at least in my experience, if you have one significant other, right, that has a steady paycheck, a steady job, right, and the other one can can get into the real estate. Over time, it at least seems like real estate is one of those professions that you can fail forward, right? If you do it long enough, right, and you're at least good at it, don't have to be aggressively good at it, but if you're good at it, over time, you're going to start getting business, right? There's people that I know that have been in the business for 20 years. They don't do any kind of prospecting. It's just a matter of I'm a real estate agent, I'm a real estate agent, I'm a real estate agent, and they're going to get the business, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. So, so it, it gives when you have a significant other that's getting a steady paycheck, even if you're not at that aggressive, which I, I, I've i never met your wife and maybe she was crazy aggressive. Right. It still <laughs> allows that 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 base, that threshold of getting that business. Yet, once you give away that that significant other gives away that steady paycheck, that kind of has to be difficult, too. Yeah, uh, it, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done uh, You know, in business. Right. It was deciding to go into business. Right. So and, 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 you know, I'm an engineer. I had a plan. I moved. I had my big Microsoft house. I had my Microsoft cars. I had my, my, my engineer like, you know, you know, 10 year engineer lifestyle. And I took a step back. I, I took a conscious step. I moved into everything into a one bedroom apartment. I went from living in the well, I don't want to say ritzy, but really nice, you know, Seattle suburbs to living into an apartment, one bedroom apartment. Right. You know, kind of next to the freeway access. Right. So it was like this well, is gonna the it wasn't only you, it was you and your wife, right? Me and my wife, me and my wife. Oh, and my wife was gung-ho about this. She's like, ah, she's like, hell yeah, right? Because my wife, uh, you know, had the experience of what happens when you bet on yourself, right? Yeah. She's like, we're finally betting on ourselves. And she was like, yeah, you know, like 100%, man. So she was pulling me along. I don't want to like brag and say I was uh, like the entrepreneurial spirit flourished in me. I was scared, bro. It was like, that was a big risk for me. I'm not, I'm a risk-averse person, right? So I had to put all this plan in place. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. So long story short, things changed. My plan did not work out. I was going to be in that apartment for, I think, six months. And we ended up being there for like two and a half years, right? Like we kind of figured things out and got the business going and, you know, made 300 grand. And then the bank account went to zero. And it was, you know, it's, it's kind of a roller coaster while you're figuring things out. But it is necessary. You got to figure it out. You got to give yourself some runway. I gave, I gave myself six months of runway. And I was able to stretch it out. Well, until now, <laughs> I've been figuring. I'm still figuring it out. I'm, I, you know, I have a big organization now. We have, you know, I'd say a medium-sized company now. But you know, I'm still learning, you know, a, a bunch of things. But I think at the very beginning, what folks struggle with the most is when you're first starting out, you're going to make mistakes that can put you out of business very easily, very easily. So you have to have your lifestyle that can sustain. A couple of really dumb mistakes. You have to. Otherwise, the first mistake, and you're back at, at the corporate job. There's, you don't really have much of an option. But I downgraded my lifestyle so much that I was able to hold on. The first year was the toughest. I'll be really honest with you. The first year um, of that kind of hitting your head against the wall and things are not as easy as you thought. The leads are harder to convert than you thought. 
Some of those deals you get depending, you're ready to go, and some of those deals fall through. That's the reality, right? So, so you know, I think, I think my first year as an entrepreneur was by far the hardest. Um, and since then, you know, there's been highs and lows, but nothing like that first year. No way. Now, I mean, having that great support system with your wife right there oh, probably yeah. helped make it make that even easier. Because, I mean, there's I think there's a meme online where it's what a what a guy's OK with and what women are surprised that he's OK with. And it's like a chair inside of with a little TV and guys are OK <laughs> with doing that for six months of the year. But women you know, get mad with the idea that how can you just be OK with this? So I mean, having that support. Was there ever a time in that year, maybe even after that, where you want to go back to that parachute of Microsoft? Absolutely. Well, it was when cash got tight. It was when cash got tight. It was when those deals fell through. It was when, you know, I couldn't pay myself my salary. It was on salary, right? I went from like a six-figure salary to making 60 grand a year. That I, I you know, I, I said, I can live off this. I'm fine. And when you can't even make that one of those months, it's like, holy cow, I've never had to worry about this ever right microsoft was my first job i was like man i was that paycheck the company had a good quarter or a bad quarter that check was already always there right and, and again you know it, it's it's an illusion too Vinny, because microsoft went through tons of layoffs while i was there i was just lucky that i didn't get laid off right i mean it was this it was the appearance of stability and the image of security right it's not just security it's the it's the appearance of security that i was really really comfortable with right but, but, you know, again, at some point, you know, I, I was relatively young. I remember when I first got to Microsoft, I had a boss that was about, you know, about 50 years old. And he said, kid, I'm happy for you, but I feel sorry for you, bro, because I'm 50. This is the best job I've ever had in my life. You're 22. This is the best job you've ever had in your life. This is your first job. So you, you, you got a tough hill to climb here. Got to figure out what you want because this place is amazing. So you're either going to be here for life or you got to figure out what it is you really want. If this is not what you want. And, and it took me a while to figure that out, really kind of churn. This is early in my career. He, 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 could, he could tell. He could tell that I was like a little, had a lot of like energy, a lot of skills. I was really, you know, looking to see what I could do. And he's like, yeah, you know, you better, you better kind of figure out that this is the place for you because there's rules and there's, you know, a, 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 a corporate ladder you need to climb and you have to conform to that. And that's fair. And that's totally the way that works. And some people flourish in that environment. And the structure and the rewards it's amazing for them it wasn't for me right so i had to find a way to kind of go okay first of all realize that i need to find something different that was the hardest part for me once i came to that thing okay great now i just gotta have to plan my way to, to dump and try something different try something different that was the hardest part you, going back to, to the idea of of going back to that sports system right going back to everything you knew of having that steady paycheck even though Maybe at that time you weren't aware of the ups and downs of, of where that paycheck was coming. You could get layoff any time. What, what was the process of, of saying, no, I'm sticking with my plan, I'm sticking with real estate? Was it having conversations with your wife at the time? Was it thinking about where you're going to be? I mean, what was that process like for you? So I think it was two main things. If I think back on it, you know, I, that's a really good question. I haven't really thought about it that way. Number one was my wife because I never felt pressure from her. To like, hey man, where's where's the new car, bro? Our car's two years old now. That's never happened. So she never made those kind of suggestions, kind of kind of kind of pushes, kind of little comments. Where it's like, man, I gotta get, I gotta make money fast, right? So I didn't feel that kind of pressure. I didn't feel that kind of pressure. I put it on myself, though. I'm not gonna say that doesn't exist. So she didn't do it, but I definitely felt it. Uh, but another thing, and this is, you know, you have to know your own personality. I'm a grinder. Like I will, it is very difficult for me to stop doing something, even if I'm not successful at first. I will grind, grind, grind. That can be good and bad, right? If you're on the wrong path, this is bad. 
if you're on the right path, well, then you're going to bust through, you know, a lot of difficulty, a lot of problems uh, without thinking twice about it. No, man, you're, you're, you're I'm not wrong. You're wrong. So, or I, I'm not wrong. This is just a bad situation. I'm on the right path. So even though ultimately five years later, was it seven years later, I don't run that real estate team anymore, right? I don't run the real estate team where I handed it off back in 2016, 17 to a team and they run my database. Now I just pass everything onto them. Even though I'm not running a real estate team now, that was the right path for me, right? That was me learning to be a business operator, to be an entrepreneur, to watch my money. When you, when you making six figures guaranteed every, well, not guaranteed, but you know what I mean? A lot of security behind it. You get sloppy. I mean, that's happened to me. That's what happened to me. I got sloppy with my expenses. The money was always there. I could out earn any problem I had. You know, well, you know, most problems that I had, I could just, I'm going to make more money this year. I'm going to make bonus at the end of the year. I'm good. When you're an entrepreneur, I had to learn that a dollar saved is a dollar earned, right? A dollar saved is a dollar earned. So being really, really careful with my budgeting, my cash flow, sales, lead generation, the, the way to get off that roller coaster of good months and bad months is consistent lead generation. There's no other way to get out of that. Not that I found. Maybe somebody smarter found a way. But I'm like, when I got into the habit of going in the office every day, doing, making my calls, calling through my database. I didn't call my database every day. I called it three to four times a year. It was the hardest thing I had to do right, for me because call, essentially calling people, everyone I knew, and seeing if they had any real estate plans for the next year. I preferred to make cold calls. Vinny. That I was easier for me. Most people it was like death to me. It was like that phone weighed 10,000 pounds. But I knew that my, my what was it? My, uh, my hourly rate for that activity was $1,000 an hour, sometimes $2,000 an hour when I called through my database. So are you going to make those calls? Because I, I need that cash, right? I need to make that. I need to grow my business. I need to move, I need to move the ball forward. So I kind of I got that, right? So that took me about a year or two to figure out. That consistent lead generation, making the calls, calling back, following up, being that guy, being there, servicing those leads, nurturing those leads, even when they weren't ready to transact right away, building that pipeline. That was the only thing that got me off that roller coaster and into road of stability. So you're t uh, you brought up the idea of a dollar saved, dollar earned, and you're running this this very big ISA team. The hiring process can be difficult because you're bringing people on and you don't know if they're gonna, I mean, how they're gonna do, and you're paying them, paying for space, things like that. What are some of the tricks, uh, the techniques, things you've learned in the hiring process? Oh wow, really good question, really good question. Because I think the hiring process, let alone forget ISA, any role within real estate. Yeah. Uh, it trips people up a lot. So one of the things I think that you have to kind of understand, and again, it's a mindset shift. It's not just Gus telling you this. You got to arrive there somehow. You got you, you to gotta, you gotta get there. Get, mentally get to that space where hiring is just another technique about being an entrepreneur. The same way sales is. The same way negotiation is. The same way all these things, we, we kind of suck. Well, maybe you have natural ability. Great. Good for you. The rest of us have to learn it, suck at it and get better and better, learn from our mistakes. Same way with hiring. So at first, I, I see a lot of real estate agents, real estate teams be very cautious with their hiring. Oh man, we got 18 interviews and we got to just make sure like we're hiring because we can't make a mistake with hiring. We can't. And you know, oh, and they go through all, put people through all of these hoops and take so much time to hire. 
that when they bring the person in, I see sometimes a lot of reluctance to fire them if they don't work out. Bro, I've put all this all this effort into hiring this person. My my, it's almost like especially team leaders, they're like uh, personality and their and their authorities. And hey, I I selected this person. This has to work out. It can't maybe it doesn't work out, right? So what we do in our company again, we have a scale now, but we hire fast, fire fast, and that's a lot a, a lot of uh, really good advice that I got from a lot of entrepreneurs. Hire fast, fire fast, right? Do not assume that the interview process is the be all and end all. Look for skills, look for the things you can demonstrate in an interview. What you cannot demonstrate in an interview, it's very difficult to interview for. Work ethic, values. Work ethic, values. Are you a hard worker? Very difficult. Well, I mean, what are you going to say, Vinny? If I ask you if you're a hard worker, I mean, of course I am, right? It's hard to, to, to interview for that. Values. Are you an honest person? Do you have grit? Are you, you know, are you, are you going to, you know, are you persistent? Do you have, you know, stamina for the job? If it's a sales job, you need a lot of stamina. All these things, very difficult to interview for. But we've been doing this long enough in the ISA role. We know in five days if you're an ISA or not. So you have you know? standards they have to meet in those five days? Is that what it is? 100%. 100%. 100%. And, and, and it starts with, I mean, the first five days, it's very simple things, right? It's not about appointments. You're not setting appointments in five days. Hmm. Are you arriving on time to the, to the session? Are you hitting the phone the amount of time we asked you to do? Are you learning the script within the first few days? Did you do the homework we asked you to do yesterday, right? Uh, and when we give you feedback, how do you take that feedback? Are you coachable? Are you teachable? Um, those things you figure out quickly, in my opinion. You figure those things out fast. Um, are, you, uh, are you punctual? <laughs> that, has, that punctuality means organization. It means respect. It means self-respect. It means a lot of things you know, for me. So, so, so all those things you can figure out relatively quickly. And if those things check out, great. Let's move on to the more interesting things, right? Let's, 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 move, let's move past that to something that's more and more complex. Okay, so let's go, let's go to the ISAs. I know we can do hiring a lot of different ones, ISAs. I mean, that's, I mean, I never thought of it like that, firing someone after a week of work. 100%. I mean, what, we do it all the time. What percentage do you think of new hires, ISAs, would you say get fired in a week? Is it like 1%, 2%? I don't have that status on a week, but within 30 days, it's 50% are not going to make it. Wow. 50%, yeah. And, and we have, and I'd say we have a pretty, you know, it's not a super long hiring process, but I'd say it is a hiring process that does look for, it looks well, you know, in our case, we're looking for language skills, computer skills. Uh, we're looking for, you know, uh, uh, I guess verbal ability, a little bit of talking, thinking on your feet, talking on your feet. We interview for those things, but until you're actually in the room, in the chair, it's hard to find those values and, and, you know, uh, the, everything else, it's the intangible part of it, right? It's hard to find out work ethic and values until they're working for you. It's hard to find out work ethic and values until they're working for you. But with experience, you start to spot these things faster. It might take you a month the first time. Holy cow, it was a terrible hire. And then, you know, and bosses can go through, new, newer bosses or, or team leaders can go through the process of, no, no, my, my expectations are way too high. It must be me. Right. Well, you know, I've hired so many people now that I know what a solid expectation should be. Right. I understand that if an ISA, I'm going to throw out some very basic metrics. If you're hiring an ISA, if they're doing, uh, you know, if they're calling your database, if they're calling, you know, your CRM on the low end, like slow, a lot of post, maybe a new person, a lot of, a lot of post call work in a full shift, eight hours, they should do on the low end, a hundred dials, outbound dials per day on the low end. Once they've gained efficiency or you've got some better tooling, a better flow for them, 
$250 in one day, one shift. 100 on the low end, 250 on the high end. So we understand that, right? And wherever you are on that spectrum, you better be able to explain why, right? We better be able to tell why are you at 50 a day? Eddie, hold on, what's the issue here? Maybe it's the training issue, maybe it's a motivation issue, maybe they're confused, you know, you gotta kind of figure that out, right? And then it goes, so that, that's a very basic metric. Are you making that dial metric? Yes or no, right? And depending on what I said at the very beginning, depending on what you're calling, right? Are you talking to enough people? The next metric, contacts. How many people are you able to talk to, have a conversation with, right? Because that actually depends very little on the ISA. Well, I mean, they have influence on it, but it also depends on the list and the tooling. There's a lot of factors that go into that. Let's say that I'm, you know, for, for cold calling, I'm, I'm making a thousand outbound dials a day because they're using automation. This is not, you know, the calling the CRM. This is calling like the phone book, right? On the outbound calling, you can, you can automate. Automation will let you call maybe a thousand people in a day. But you should be having about 80 to 100 conversations, contacts. We're going to ask let them. Me, yeah, let me, let me just jump in here fast here. For people that maybe aren't as versed in the real estate, um, the automation dialing system, he's talking about maybe like Mojo Dialer where it's still exactly. calling three lines at once and then it'll disconnect on two of the lines when it gets contact with one person. And then ISA, I mean, I just thought about it right now. We haven't really talked about that. ISA, <laughs> internal sales agent. So uh, ISA, internal sales agent. Okay, sorry, Gus. Just I just thought about it right now. Like, no, you might not be out of <laughs> yeah, because we're, we're both K-Dub, right? So this is like a, you know, Keller Williams verbiage. Yeah, so yeah, we call it inside sales agent. Same role, same, same description. Uh, these are folks that are in a real estate team making the tel a telemarketing role for real estate. Anything to do with phone calls, prospecting or inbound conversion and nurturing. So, so all these things. So you come up with these metrics, right? So experience teaches you this, right? So I, I can tell you a metric that works for me. You got to figure this out on your own for your market, for your lead source. Maybe, you know, Vinny, you've got, you know, probate lists. Maybe you've got notice of default lists and you know what a decent person can do when they're hitting those lists, what kind of an output you expect, right? So you come up with the standard and here's the hard part, you gotta hold people to that standard. You gotta hold people to that standard. The better you get at that, the faster you can get uh, build like a high performing team. I mean, you still speak as like an engineer, kind of like how you <laughs> built the system. And you know I mean, you, you took the risk, you, you jumped in and you built your team, built your business. So I'm assuming a lot has changed from that person that joined Microsoft at a young age. So what kind of advice from all those years of like yeah. growth and things like that would you give that, that young person, that young Gus? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, man, what would I, what would I tell young Gus? Uh, you know, cause you know, I, Gus the engineer, it's Gus like another, another, another person, right? So uh, one thing that I would tell Gus, and I would think it was gonna help, like young Gus would help him on that, on that road is, you know, I would tell them, you know, Gus, uh, always ask yourself, right? Uh, remember to ask yourself, what, it is, what is it that you want? What is it you want to do, right? And, and, and whenever you, whether you're doing your task for that day, for that week, for that month, for that year, ask yourself, am I doing this for me? And if I'm not doing it for me, who am I doing it for? And at least ask the question, right? Because that question is disruptive, Vinny, right? I mean, it can be like, yeah, am I on? Am I living my life? Am I living somebody else's life? Is this go? Is this? Am I playing to my strengths? Am I playing it safe? There's a lot of things that come from that. And and, and for me, it kind of started with that question: Who who am I actually doing this for? Right? Who? What, what's what's the? What 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 is this life that I'm living? And is it the one that I would would have chosen for myself, or is it the one that was kind of expected of me? 
So that, that's a powerful question. I would have asked that question earlier in my life. I got to it. I got to it eventually. Um, but, you know, like, hey, maybe a little bit of a, of a cheat, right? But again, you know, like, like I said earlier, it's not just asking the question. You got to be there. Your, your mind has to be in the right spot, right? The information's information. The information can roll off, you know, and not stick. You have to be receptive to it and you have to be there. So, you know, I, I, that's the information I would like to have. But I really needed the wisdom to like know what to do with it, right? And I was, when I was a kid, man, I didn't know what the, <laughs> I thought I was the smartest guy ever, by the way. You know, Microsoft guy, top honors, like straight A's, scholarship, everything, man, all those things. And it was tough for me to realize, yeah, it's not really what I want, right? It, it's great. It feels good. Winning is good. Winning feels good. But I'm like, is that really the, the, the thing that I want? Or was it something that was expected? It's, a, it's, a, it's always an interesting question, always. It's, it's, a, it's a tough question, but I think anyone even listening right now, I mean, should ask himself, I mean, what are you doing? What, why are you waking up? Why are you going to work? Why are you doing whatever kind of business is it for you as for someone else? I mean, that's going to give you that extra oomph if you have to stay at work, you know, yeah. stay in there a little bit longer in the day. I mean, if someone's listening right now, maybe they uh, are in Mexico, they're looking to basically be an ISA or maybe it's a realtor in the United States or somewhere else that's looking to, to bring you on. What's the best way for them to reach out to find more information about your company, about your team, about you? Yeah, powerisa.com. That's the easiest way uh, to get in touch with us. Or on Facebook, you can just you know search for Power ISA. I'll probably pop up in there. I have a free Facebook group as well. People can join where I'm talking about stuff like this, about inside sales, conversion metrics, marketing stuff for Facebook. There's a lot of the leads we get nowadays are all coming from Facebook. So there's a lot of topics around that. Uh, so if people want to learn more, continue the conversation, those are the best ways to reach out on, on our website and on our Facebook group. Well, thank you, Gus, for being on here. Got so much great information. I know for a couple of minutes for the listeners out there, we kind of just got in the zone, talking real estate, getting real estate insight. I was loving every second of it. Hopefully, everyone listening, maybe you're not in real estate, but you can still relate to transitioning from one career to another career, maybe outside your comfort zone, yet finding a way that can interact with each other. So hopefully yeah. there's some, some some information you could take away. Uh, thank again for being on the Road to Growth podcast. And if you're listening, please subscribe, please share, and tell your friends. Thank you for listening to the Road to Growth, success of an entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.